Welcome to Bella Life. Today we're speaking with Andy Bendencourt. He is the co-founder of Yoga Veda Institute. He is a life coach, a yoga teacher, Ayurvedic teacher, and spiritual coach. His deep understanding of the inner workings of the human mind and behavior help him to guide people into journey of self-healing. Without further ado, here is Andy. All right, we're here with Andy. How are you, I'm sir? I'm good, thank you. How about you? I'm doing well. It's a great day today. You said earlier that you're at the beach. How is that? It's great. Humid and uh, a nice view. That's, that's all I can say. Wonderful, wonderful. So today's topic, we're talking about mental health and we're talking about the times that we're in, things that can help us live a better life, what we can do with the way we're thinking, with the way we're processing everything, and with the views that we look out into the world with. So I'd like to talk to you, start the questions off by asking you a quick question. How do you see the world today? And what do you see as one thing that we should use to help us elevate our mental health? Two interesting questions. Um, let's address the first one. How do I see the world today? Well, uh, that's, uh, of course, is very relative to my experience and to what I can see from, from, from my point of view, uh, from, from my scope of knowledge. Um, the, the, the interesting part about this question is that one of the teachings of yoga is that we can create our own reality. And, 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 and this, is a, this is an oversimplification, of course, of a teaching. But, but there is some truth in that. And it is true that I cannot change external factors and things that are out of my power. Uh, but I do have, as we say that, the power to create the way I think and the way I see the world, how I interact with those things that are coming from the outside. Yeah, and that is where, where we need to put our focus. That's where we need to put our attention. Because when you put your attention in that, then you realize that you have more power than you thought you did. And that by putting your attention in what you can do to, to make your situation better, you are becoming a sort of creator that has the ability to interact with a world that does not depend on him or her, but at the same time can be molded, can be adequated, can be transformed to whichever extent is possible, depending on the circumstances, to fit your reality. And of course, we have to say this does not mean that I become a uh, dreamer that just, that has no capacity to see the the material uh, external circumstances. Yeah, like saying I'm gonna jump out of a roof because I think I can fly. 
Now, we have to do this, this building, this creation within the, the realms of the material world we exist in. So it's not an argument of whether the physical world is real or I created all in my mind. Is is the argument is about finding that middle point, that balance to really discover how far can I go? How much power do I have to change things around me? Yeah. And when I embark in, in that journey, then I will truly discover without any internal limitations how far I can really go. So you might say, well, you're not really answering my question. But the thing is that, that the answer to that question, it's very relative, as I said, to the person that you ask that question. Some people might say this is a terrible world and it's, it's, it's horrible and, and all that we do is hurt each other and harm each other and, and abuse of each other. And don't take me wrong. There is some truth in that statement. We cannot, again, deny what is there, what is happening outside of my scope. I cannot deny that. But the way I perceive it and what from that perception I do to change it, to modify it, that is what truly matters. This, a good example for this is when a, trage a tragedy happens in your life and you take the tragedy as what it is, a, trage a, a, a tragedy, but you make the best of it. You find, and, and what normally we hear is find the positive in everything. And it is true. You find something of use, something good, something that you can take with you from that situation. And this portion here is critical because at this point in the argument, some people would say, that's, that's ridiculous. You know, bad things are bad things and will always be bad things. What I'm suggesting to those people is go beyond the thought of bad thing and just see it as a thing that happened. And what can I do to get something of benefit that allows me to grow? And the, the thing is not to find that thing, it's to discover it because it's already there. Every circumstance in life comes like a magic bag. It has everything you want it in. It's up to you to find it. It's up to you to bring it out and make it visible. So that's how I answer that question. Again, we could, if you ask somebody which circumstances are great, they will say, oh, the world is beautiful and is wonderful and everything is perfect. And if you find somebody in the opposite spectrum, they will say the opposite. Again, the point is to find beauty, and that's how I like to see it and describe it. Find beauty in everything that happens around you, regardless of how it makes you feel in the flesh, how it makes you feel emotionally, how it makes you feel mentally. Those things are temporary. They, they pass. How I feel about something will pass. 
you might feel great about eating chocolate and you might just have or ice cream and you might have one and enjoy it very much. But if I make you eat 10 pounds of ice cream, you're not going to like ice cream so much at the end of those 10 pounds. You're going to feel that you, it's not a nice experience. So you see the relativity in all of these experiences that we judge as good or bad, pleasurable or painful. They're relative to so many other factors. So finding that relativity, realizing it, and then finding the, how some people say, the positive. I like to say the beauty. Find the beauty on that thing. And in my personal experience, from understanding these teachings, I see that is is 100% accurate. When I put a personal effort, when I'm mindful and present, I have been able throughout my life to always find a positive, beautiful thing that came out of every single situation. And there is a challenge, and the challenge to reach that that um, realization is it has obstacles and those obstacles or challenges are our beliefs are the ways we see the world and those beliefs that we are very attached to and that we of course believe them to be accurate right and that represent the world exactly how it is and not the other way, which is just how I personally perceive the world. So that's my answer to the first question. The second question is in regards to mental health, correct? Yes, sir. So mental health, it's dependent on your personal routines on what do you do with your life on those things you do repetitively i give you an example if i start let's use a word uh, compulsive or obsessively meaning i do it often and in an unaware way that's what compulsive and obsessive means in other terms. When I start performing an action in that way, in a non-mindful way and repeatedly, I'm going to develop a habit. Now, traditionally speaking, we, we see habits as external actions that can be measured. But habits go beyond that um, more westernized concept. Habits can also be created in the mind. And of course, they can be measured uh, through the actions that they create. But sometimes they cannot be linked. So we cannot say, oh, this habit, physical measurable habit, it's coming from this thought. So I like to put that extra category there where habits also can happen in the mind, are related to the mind. And often if we don't pay attention to what is happening in the mind, we cannot see that by removing the habitual thought 
we will automatically remove the external version of that habit or the external representation of that mental habit. So when we develop certain habits that are not beneficial, yeah, as when I'm thinking, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get sick, I'm gonna get sick. If I do that, I'm gonna get sick. If I do that, I'm gonna get sick. And I might not say anything externally, but I'm constantly having that thought. Well, I will create that habit. And of course, that habit needs to be reinforced by certain actions. If I believe I'm gonna get sick, well, I'm, I'm will uh, uh, constantly wash my hands, for instance, or constantly use hand sanitizer, or constantly not touch things, or not go to places. How far you go with that? It's it's very. Um, it depends on the individual. So, creating a routine that allows you to live a life that is coherent with your surroundings and not with your personal view of the surroundings will allow you to remain in a balance. And what happens when we are in balance is that we don't develop mental diseases. Or in this case, of course, that transform into uh, physical diseases. So in order to keep our mental health, we have to look at overall, what are we doing in our daily life? What am I constantly doing? What are these little things that I think that takes me to sometimes say something or sometimes perform an action that are creating these habits that of course mold your character, that define who you are? Uh, I hope this answers uh, satisfy you and, and the audience. They are not the conventional answers that maybe you might hear from, I don't know, <laughs> books and, and other people, but they are, in the way I see it, and also with the teachings of yoga, they are a more holistic, they're, they're seen from a more holistic way. Does that make sense, Chris? Absolutely, that makes sense. And I really enjoy the way you articulated that. In particular, you spoke about how our habits create our character and how we view the world or the situations in which we are a part of creates our experience. So I want to ask you, how does one take all of the views that they had before and start to turn them around to try to find that beauty that you speak of? Because I know a lot of people have been doing things and they do things unconsciously without even knowing it because of their past or their experiences or any of that. Do you have any thoughts on that? Absolutely. So basically, how do I turn this around? Um, there is a concept that is in, in psychology, it's called cognitive dissonance. Yeah. 
in yogic terms, uh, we see it as being coherent with what you think, what you speak, and what you do. Yeah. If you are in using the, the, the psychological term cogn in cognitive um, dissonance, what is going to happen is that you're always going to have this feeling, this voice, this, this sense that something is not right. Yeah, when you say you, when you feel you're betraying yourself, and this does not necessarily happen in a conscious way. It doesn't happen in a way that I can see it. I can I can uh, rationalize and say I'm betraying myself. Often, like you like you said, this happens in the most unconscious and unaware ways. Yeah. So, well, for that first thing, I need to first take certain very basic tools. Uh, one of them is self inquiry contemplation, which means observation, which all of those mean in, in, in broad terms, that I'm going to start looking at myself, that I'm going to start observing and paying attention to the thoughts. I'm going to question, and I'm going to question my beliefs. A, a very simple way of doing this is saying, is that so? And, and just make a list. This is actually a very useful thing to do. Make a, a physical list. Grab a pen and a piece of paper and, and write down your beliefs. Identify. Get to know your beliefs. Because the truth is most of us are not even aware of the things we believe in. So make a list of your beliefs. And this might take a day or two or a week or two until you identify all of these beliefs. And then begin to ask, is that so? Is it real? Is that really the, the, the whole picture? Yeah. And when you start that path of that journey of, of discovering your beliefs, the ways you see the world, when you start observing yourself as you act every day in the most random and, 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 non-important situations and you start taking mental notes of those situations you're going to start like literally facing yourself in a mirror like seeing when you have something in your face and you don't want to see it what do you do you don't look at the mirror right you avoid looking at yourself in the mirror because you don't want to see that thing well we're doing the opposite here i want to go to the mirror and truly observe that thing of course, often we don't like what we see. So this is one of the reasons why our subconscious protects us from, you don't need to look at that, at that now, you don't need to see that, uh, that's unnecessary. But well, what we are of course attempting here is to ch make changes in our life that pushes us in the direction that we actually want to be, whichever that is. Which, as, as I often say, um, for most of us, if not all of us, it includes two, two words or, or, or two ideas, better said. One is the idea of contentment. I want to be content with my life. And the second one is inner peace. I want to feel that sense of, ah, yes, this is it. How do I get there? Well, it's, there is a different path for everybody, but we want to get there. And how we get there is 
one of the ways by taking a deep look at our personality, at ourselves, at the thoughts, the beliefs, the actions. Yeah, there's people that says, well, I want to, I want to gain weight. I want to get muscles or I want to lose weight. I want to get rid of, of this extra weight. And they think about that and they might even say it, but they don't perform any action. So when I perform the action of self-observance, then I'm going to notice, wait, but if you want to gain weight, you need to change your diet. You need to go do exercise. You know? I want to become a marathon runner, well, you know what you need to do to get there. So I will have to face that, if we want to call it that, that uh, little demon and say, okay, we need to change this, which is just a habit. This is not demon from the, the biblical uh, understanding. It's just a habit. And it's habit of putting off things. I'm going to start next Monday. I'm going to start next Christmas or next New Year. And when you look at that long enough, like if you stare at yourself in a mirror, seeing something you don't like, you will eventually get the courage that you need to make an action. But if we're constantly putting it off, not ever looking in the mirror, but it becomes easier to live with those things. And you might from time to time feel that there is something in your face, but you don't want to go to the mirror because you kind of know what it is. So it goes down to habits. It's not as simple as saying just change your habits. But again, the tools are, are, are explained in a very uh, simple way in the sense that, well, first I need to realize, okay, what do I realize? Okay, there is a habit. There is the, the thought. I'm constantly thinking of this. I realize it. Then I create a plan. A plan for what? But to change it, to modify, to replace it. Yoga often uses the replacement. I put something else of value instead of that. And then the discipline to repeat that over and over. Here is where many people get um, stuck. So I realize what I need to change or what I would like to change in order to reach that point of inner peace. Um, but then if the older habit is stronger than the newer habit. Well, I must again address the older habit as an individual habit and see what can I do to replace it. And if I cannot replace it, then what can I do to perform the new habit with the same strength that I continue to perform the old habit? This in yoga is called a sadhana. When you start a sadhana, sadhanas by nature are spiritual practices, are practices that allow you to get to this point that we spoke at the beginning, inner peace and contentment. When I get to that point, then I is said I'm practicing my sadhana because that practice takes me to that space of contentment and inner peace. So any practice can be a sadhana. When I start that practice that slowly takes me there, what is going to happen is something magical and is this other thing I could not get rid of will slowly vanish, will slowly fade away.
Now, it doesn't always work the same way. There's not one technique for all of the different habits and all the different individuals. This is why we need personal counseling, personal assistance to be able to tackle one habit at the time. The beauty about sadhana or spiritual practice, like when you're doing your, your asana, your physical practice in yoga, you're doing your breathing exercises, you're doing your meditation, is that all of that is sadhana. All of that is, all of those practices are your spiritual practices. And even if you don't even know what is happening in your life, by continuing to do these other practices, you're going to realize that those other things, you whether you knew they were there or not, you're going to realize they start fading away. And not realizing doesn't mean I don't know it's there because every uh, unhealthy habit have uh, repercussions in all of our life. So you're going to notice something else in your life is not there. And if you are inquisitive, you might realize is because of this other habit that faded away. And there was no a real effort into making the habit go away, which it takes me to a, a very important point. We must make an effort to focus on what matters, not into what doesn't matter. And what matters, I mean, those things that, that nourish my soul, that make me get to that space of, of contentment and inner peace. I focus on those things. The other things will take a second, uh, a backseat, and eventually will, we could say, get bored and just move on. It's like a conversation. If you're having a conversation with somebody else and that somebody else is not replying to you, is not putting attention, is not doing anything to show you that he's interested, you will lose interest and you will move on sooner or later. Some people are more persistent, but you will move on sooner or later. And it's the same thing that happens with our habits. When you are performing the habit, you are giving attention to that habit. When you are performing the habit still, but putting your attention in something else that matters more to you, that other thing will still be there. But trust that it will vanish sooner or later. Again, I am generalizing. It's important to understand that, that to, if you are truly struggling with uh, removing habits, you need to seek for personal, personalized assistance. You need to seek for, for counseling one-on-one. -on -one. This, this, I, I, I'm not saying everybody needs one-on-one -on -one counseling, but I'm saying that if you truly have tried and keep uh, failing in, in, in your pursuit to, to remove these unhealthy habits, then it, it could be beneficial to find a one-on-one -on -one assistance. Okay, that is wonderful. I'm uh, very intrigued by the whole practice that you were talking about. You had talked about everything being a spiritual practice or a sadhana, and those things help pull you out of the current mindset, that current set of beliefs that hold you in the position that you're in. What are some of those things, and you briefly mentioned them, 
can you go in a little bit detail about a, a couple things that someone can do to help foster this change? Yeah, absolutely. It 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 goes it goes down to routine. So I don't want to um, insi- insinuate that you must do yoga in order to reach this space of inner peace. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, well, the yogic practices are tailored and developed to allow us to reach that space. Yeah. So when you embrace these specific practices, you will sooner or get or later um, get to that space and you will um, stay in that space more and more the more you do the practices. But this does not mean that I need to um, change my religion or I need to change into practices I'm not really into. What is more important here is to understand the the mental aspect that I must realize that I have the power to change this. And I must then create a plan. In this case, yoga already um, developed that plan for you uh, and carry on with practicing it. So when we talk about yoga, we say asana, which is the physical aspect of the practice, the the what today most of people understands as yoga. Yeah, you go to a studio and you practice all these different postures. Uh, but here is the catch: I can do that. I can do all that. I can go to the studio. I can practice the the physical postures. But not much is happening. I mean, I'm getting stronger. My muscles are more flexible. Uh, maybe I feel more relaxed, but, but not much is happening. And this has to do with where is my attention. And, and what I mean not much is happening is I don't really see these, these transcendental changes that Andy is talking about. I don't see my, my unhealthy habits just fading away. And this is directly related to where your intention and your your awareness is. Your intention and your awareness must be in the present moment, in experiencing what is happening in the present moment. So when I'm practicing all these different positions and bending back and forth and standing on my head and so on and so on, my mind is there in my body is in what is happening at that moment, in your breath. So your whole being is present. When you perform it in that way, then it doesn't really matter what you're doing, whether you are in an asana class or yoga class, or you are doing a pranayama or breathing class, or you're riding your bicycle in in, in the mountains or whatever it is. If you are in that space of awareness, mindful, present, you're present in that action that's taking place, you will notice that you start connecting with a part of yourself that, well, if you're not in that space, you cannot have access to. I, I, I often use this analogy of going to the theater to watch a movie and falling asleep. 
You can go to the same theater as many times as you want, but as far as you're asleep, you will not be able to remember the movie because you were not present. So it's the same thing when I'm performing life itself, Chris. It, it, these truly have nothing to do with asana or pranayama or meditation. It has to do with us developing the ability to be fully present in our lives. So when I'm fully present, of course, certain tools are more effective than others. And in this case, we know because it's been practiced for thousands of years that asana, pranayama, meditation, and many of these techniques of yoga are more effective at getting you to that space of inner peace and contentment much faster because they are tailored and created for that especially if they are individualized for the one person that's practicing, which is it make it many times more effective. But that is not the, it, this is focusing on the tool and not on the practitioner. We must focus on the practitioner. Yeah. So the pranayama itself is not going to change your life. The asana, the posture itself is not going to change your life. The thing is they're so powerful that even into being practiced by an unaware person, they will still have an effect. The thing is, it might most likely take longer because it, there is a, a gap, the gap of unawareness that needs to be filled with the practice. But when that awareness is already there, then no questions. There are certain practices in this particular, the yogic practices, that will become much more powerful. But so we need to understand that we have to create the space. And you don't need to do prior practices. You don't need to have any special preparation or, or the blessings of anybody. You just need to make a conscious decision. I am going to be present. During this 90-minute yoga class, asana, I'm going to be present. And I will, when I catch myself not being present, I will bring myself back. And some of you might say, is that it? Is that all you have to do? For now, yes. One step at a time. So for now, you just do that. And you're going to notice, or you will or should start noticing as you take this approach that other things arise. Now, these other things are not necessarily beautiful and nice and pleasurable things. They might be the opposite of that. You might realize that you have done something terrible in, in your past that you were very aware you did, but you weren't aware it was terrible. And by terrible, I mean that it was detrimental to your life or to somebody else's life or to the environment or so on and so on. And you might realize that and say, oh, wow, okay, and apologize. Apologize to yourself, apologize to the world, apologize to whatever, whoever you need to. So this is the part that many, um, many people in this path don't tell us about. And is that it's not a path that is full of flowers and beautiful experiences. Of course, they are there too. But it's also a path where we come to face uh, everything we have done, everything we currently do. 
And the beauty about this is that, well, what is done is done, but you still have a choice. In today's world, you have a choice, and that is the choice you can make to change life from today onward. And with this, I need to also say, if you're not able to change it right now, don't, 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 don't be concerned because you will still be able to do it progressively. Studying nature, it, it allows us to understand what, what this word progressive really means. When you put a seed in, 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 in the ground, the seed doesn't show up the day after. A tree doesn't show up or, or the food in the, in the seed that is, is, is that latent energy within the seed is not going to show up right away. It's going to take time. It's going to take nourishment. So you have to put that seed there and feed that seed, nourish that seed. There might be weeds around your seed. Well, you have to cut the weed. And you know what happened with weed, Chris? Weed keeps growing up. It keeps coming up. So you have to keep cutting it. And this is part of nature. Those weeds live within us. They're part of nature. You don't curse the weed that's in your garden. You just deal with it. Because it will always be there. It will always find a way. You might have the most beautiful garden and weed always find its way through. And you have to just trim it down and be vigilant. Because you know it most likely will come back. Why? Because it's part of nature. You continue to nourish your seeds, your garden, and to take care of the weed. That is what we must understand. Life, because you en en uh, embark in this spiritual path, does not become all of the sudden beautiful and perfect. Weed and this, this uh, uh, so-called negative aspects of life will always be there. And, and it's, it's important also to not see them as negative things, but simply understand that they are part of life. That weed is as beautiful as the, the food that is growing in the garden. And if you can find the perfect balance for them to coexist, why not? And nature always finds that perfect balance. So we must learn to coexist with those things that we don't truly like about ourselves because we know that they're not serving us. They're not serving the world we live in. And you must just make sure you keep them short, that you don't allow them to grow. Like in a garden, if you left the garden alone, weed will grow and take over. No questions asked. So you must be vigilant. I hope that makes sense. That absolutely makes sense. That absolutely makes sense. I wanted to highlight a couple of things that you talked about that stood out to me. You talked about how the weeds, and that primarily means your thoughts, your beliefs, things about yourself that you may not want in your life, they're always going to be there and they're going to find ways to show up in everywhere in the most beautiful settings and the most 
places in life. They'll, they'll find up everywhere. And one of the things that stood out to me is that all you have to do is be vigilant to cut them down, to trim them down, to watch yourself in the moment and see how it affects you and take changes, make changes to overcome that. And that is powerful. That is extremely powerful because that takes everything away from the external world, all the blame and the situation isn't right and all this stuff. It takes it away and gives the power to the individual. I think that is highly profound and it's often very, very hard to distinguish that you have that much power, especially when you have so much going around. Like maybe, for instance, there's just a ton of weeds or a ton of situations. We don't have enough money. We don't have the right job. We don't have, we don't live in the right place or have the right tools that we need. How do we continue to motivate and move in that direction when we're the external world is so much so those weeds are so much how do you do that well this material world is believe it or not and to the extent that this uh, sentence i'm about to say can go it it exists because of thought yeah so forget about the mountains and the ocean and all those things I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about I'm talking about your personal experience as an individual human being that is also very relative and, and quite illusory if the, let's not go there right now thought create reality Chris to the extent that as possible thought create reality so we must be vigilant using the same analogy of the weed. Um, Non-beneficial thoughts are weed. Is They are that weed growing up in your garden. So take that analogy of the, the, the physical real garden and, and put it inside of your, of, your, of your mind and see that the beneficial thoughts, the ones that allow you to be in a space of contentment, are the the flowers and the food and all those things you actually want to have in your garden. And those things that you don't want to have in your garden, in this case, the weed or other things, are those non-beneficial thoughts, those thoughts that take you farther from contentment and farther from inner peace. So you must do that trimming, that gardening within yourself. But how do you do that, Chris? Imagine going back to the garden. How can I recognize the the weed from the good stuff? Well, I must become used to this thing in front of me. I learn I need to learn how to recognize how a papaya tree looks when it's little or how a corn looks next to weed. 
I must learn to recognize all of these different aspects. In the same way, in my mind, I need to recognize which thoughts are nourishing and taking me closer to this space of inner peace and contentment and which thoughts are not. And, of course, we know what needs to be done. Those other thoughts need to be trimmed. How do we trim a thought? You see, well, that analogy of the garden works great, but how do I trim a thought? You do not carry on with the thought. You don't allow the thought to make a movie out of the thought. Or you don't allow your mind, better said, to create a, a movie out of the thought. You don't create a chain of thoughts. So you have one single thought, and that single thought starts with that. And it might be external stimulus or internal stimulus that create that one thought. And that thought on its own has no power. How do I know this? Because I have analyzed my own mind. And when you take the time to analyze your own mind, you will also realize that one thought on its own has no power. The power comes from the subsequent thoughts that give form to an idea, to a belief, and so on and so on. But when I realize a thought, like, for instance, I'm tired. And if you just leave that thought there, there might be a feeling of tiredness. And that's why, like I said, well, in this case, it's an internal experience. But when you create a story, a movie around that thought, that, that is when it becomes powerful. So this is the equivalent of letting the, the weed grow to the point where it takes over the nutrients of the other things you want in your garden. It takes over the view. It takes over the space. It doesn't allow you to see the good stuff. All right. So I must be constant and vigilant in those thoughts. First, I must recognize them. So when I recognize the thought, immediately, what do I do? I move on. I accept that the thought is there. I don't push it away. I don't deny it. I say, okay, it's there. And I thought it right there. I don't create a sentence, a story, or a movie based on that thought. And you must try this out so you understand the principles of this exercise that I'm proposing. You must try it out. And as everything increases in life, when you try something out for the first time, you might find out that you're not that great at it. You might find out that you that it doesn't really work as, as, as promised. But you will also find out that as you do it more often, you become better at it. And you gain proficiency to the point that you might be able to call yourself a master of that. And everything in life works the same way. Nature works the same way. The mind is not separate from that. So the mind also works the same way. When I practice more and more grabbing those thoughts as they show up and letting them there, not creating a chain of thoughts, yeah, the mind, the way I, I, I explain it, because that's the way I see it, imagine this carousel that's just turning and turning, and there are pictures in all of them. There, there are several pictures, and it's just spinning like the wheel of fortune, you know, and then at some point it stops, 
And when it stops, it stops right in front of you. And there is a picture right there or a word, however you, you, you envision, depending on the kind of brain that you have. And you're going to see this thing there. That's a thought. That's, it might be a word in the form of an image or whatever it is. And it's your choice to take it out of the wheel or spin the wheel again. So if you realize that it's a thought that is not beneficial, what you're going to basically do is spin the wheel again. And the wheel is going to spin again and it's going to stop again. This is a natural process. But here's what happens. The, the spaces, the slots in this wheel are made by those things you are constantly thinking about or the things that are around you. Like if, for instance, you are hungry, so you're going to be thinking about eating because your body is telling you there's a physiological response saying hungry food. So the, most of those slots in that wheel are going to be full of things that have to do with food, with eating. But that is temporary because, you know, as soon as you eat, it will change. But when, say, we are in a passive state, I'm not hungry, I'm not tired, I'm not anything. What happens then? Well, those thoughts that I'm constantly, that I'm more likely to have in that state are the ones that are going to show up. For instance, somebody that has the, the habit of worrying about things, when you are in a space where you're full, all your physiological needs are, are, are met. And you're just chilling, watching the, the view or whatever it is you're doing. Well, that wheel is going to be filled by those thoughts of worriness and concern because that's what you normally do when you are at rest. You're concerned about the future or the past. Again, how do I change that? How do I put something else there? Is, again, the same principle of the weed. I'm not going to give power to the thought. I'm going to see it in front of my mind and move it aside. Let it go. Imagine that it's, you have no power over it except the power of taking. Yeah, there's, uh, um, have you ever seen those, those sushi bars that move on its own? You have no power over what is going around, but you have the power to take something when it's right in front of you, or you have the power to let it go. Imagine those are thoughts. Imagine in this wheel, in this, this uh, thing where, where the sushi moves automatically in front of you, there is, there are thoughts and it's up to you. We have to realize that it was our choice to extend our hand and grab the thought and keep it. And of course, once you keep it, well, you have to make, do something with that. So we must realize, okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to um, make an effort to not reach out for the thought. Here is where you need the same tool we talked about before. You need to be present. You need to be in the moment to realize I'm doing it. And sometimes, you know what? The, I, I think this is funny. Some people might not find it funny, but I think it's funny to observe yourself reaching out for that thing you know you shouldn't and see the whole process happening in front of you. I did it. I have it. I'm now part of it. Uh, it's happening. But 
here's the beauty about this other process too. You say, oh, I failed. No, you did not fail, my friend. You succeeded because now you see it. You see what is happening. And believe me, the more you develop that awareness of being present, the more something will grow within you and you will develop that power to at some point, instead of reaching out 100% time, you will reach out 80% and 50% and 20% until you don't feel the need internally to reach out. And that is what happens with the thoughts. At first, it might be a challenge to, to deal with these thoughts and say, but I, I cannot not stop worrying. I worry. And it's just me. No, it's not you. It's not you who worries. It's a habit. It's something that is outside of you, like the shirt you're wearing right now. It's not yours. We th This concept extends to your body, which is not yours either, but let's not go there now. So going back to the previous question, the tools of yoga, asana, pranayama, uh, observation, which is pratyahara, the observation of the senses. All of those tools are excellent. So if you are into yoga, well then, guess what? It's going to be a lot easier for you to get this thing done. But there might be other tools out there that are not called yoga. They are still the same, but they're not called yoga. They will work better for you. So we, we have to see that first, well, yeah, these tools are tailored for it. And I'm going to go on it. This process, Chris, is a conscious, unconscious process. So it's a process in which sometimes I am consciously doing things and sometimes I'm unconsciously doing things. The important part is that everything I'm doing or most of the things I'm doing in my life are supporting my final goal of inner peace and contentment. So whatever I do, whether it's conscious or unconscious, is taking me to that space. So going back again to the tools of yoga, yes, of course, if you're doing pranayamas, breathing exercises that are tailored and designed for that, you're going to get better results by finding that that strength to be present and to to take like if you're dealing with anger for instance breathing certain breathing techniques are very useful and you will notice that that anger leaves your body much easier and faster than if you're not using those tools so each different situation in our lives will or could require different techniques but again, we, we should not focus on the techniques. We should focus on identifying those things by using the tools of mindfulness and awareness and being present. And through that, then saying, okay, like in your house, Chris, when you have something that needs to be fixed, you first need to identify what needs to be fixed. You can't just go to the store to buy things you don't even know that you need. So you first identify what needs to be fixed in your house, and then you go to the store and buy the correct tools to fix that. 
Of course, you can take the other approach and say, well, I'm just going to go to the store and buy a bunch of things. And then you go to your garage and say, oh, yeah, I have this thing I, I need right now to fix this one thing. The, this is the equivalent of doing your practice every day, doing asana, doing pranayamas, doing all of these practices every day diligently. What's going to happen is that when something arises within you, you already have the tools to deal with. You have been working on it, even though you didn't have that issue there. I hope that makes sense. Yep. Yes, sir. That absolutely makes sense. <clears throat> and very fascinating. It's a huge topic. I want to turn the tables quickly towards the end here and talk a little bit about you what are what what are you passionate about what is andy's passion well i can i can answer that um very briefly by saying life itself i'm passionate about life and when when you're passionate about life you realize that you can be passionate about so many individual things that that make up life but i'm passionate about observing life itself and it might sound silly but truly is because when i observe life as it is it shows me and teaches me so much chris as we're having this conversation right now and and we're talking about observing nature yes i told you that i'm at the beach right now and i can see that when you're at the beach uh, metal have a hard time you know metal have a real hard time in, in 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 the ocean in front of the ocean it gets rust and i can see a lot of rust around me and and, and that links to, to what we we have been talking about for the last hour when I see the issue and I see there is rust, I understand that it's part of life. I can't be upset about the rust or, or the salt doing what it's supposed to do. What can I do? Well, all I can do is go scrape it off and paint it and wait until it happens again, until rust do its thing and I do my thing. And that's what I'm passionate about, about Finding the balance in life that the, the, our planet and the universe is constantly showing us how it, it's always in a perfect balance. And of course, we are not, we, we cannot uh, ignore that. We are not helping the planet right now to remain in balance. Yeah? And that's, that's a whole different topic. But, but it's beautiful to see how when we leave nature alone on its own, nature always finds a way to bring everything back to a perfect balance. And when I observe nature, I find ways to use that same wisdom that nature has to use it within me. Nature is constantly nourishing me and giving me all these answers that sometimes I don't even know I was looking for. And it teaches me how I can apply that in my personal life. So if I could identify just, just or be more specific about what passions, what is my passion, um, I could say it's, it's that one, Chris. I have other, many other passions, of course, but they're, they're more trivial. And they're all part of life again, you know, and I love them too. I don't know if you want me to be more specific about that. 
That's perfectly great. That's amazing right there. I appreciate that. I appreciate your openness. I want to turn the table now and ask you a little bit about some of the things that you personally struggle with to help us understand this whole process a little bit more. Okay, so you want to get more personal. Um, let's see. Um, me, as, as you and, and our audience, we all have this thing that in yoga is called karma, which is just this, this previous luggage we have to carry and, and that we created from our previous actions, whether it was in this life or in the previous life. And we have to um, carry it and, and learn how to let go of it. So uh, I struggle with most of things that, that, that most of us struggle with. Um, the world, uh, as, as it is right now, no, is, is uh, sending us all these messages. Uh, I struggle right now currently with seeing the, the world um, in, in, in a space of, of, of uh, sorrow and, and, and suffering. Yeah? But it's hard for me to identify things that I say I struggle with because, again, it will go against everything I told you for the last hour uh, to, to say I struggle with this because I don't see it as a struggle. So even though I'm attempting to, it's not, it's not, I'm not attempting to say I don't struggle with anything. Um, my life is perfect. No. But it goes back to what I mentioned earlier is the way I see the world, nothing is really a struggle. Everything is just a beautiful opportunity, a challenge. And by beautiful, I don't mean that I like it. I might dislike it. I might dislike the challenge that's in front of me. But I understand that challenge was put in front of me as a gift. And I understand that if I embrace that challenge with the same mindset that I just explained, then I will find something beautiful inside that challenge, regardless of if I like it or not. So struggle as, as using the word for, for with the definition that we, we normally use it for, I wouldn't say that it's a struggle. Do I get frustrated sometimes with certain personal um, um, attributes that I have through my karma? Absolutely, I do. Do I get um, I, something that comes up to my head is um, the the idealistic uh, sense of everybody doing the right thing. You see, that's, that's, that's the closest I can give you to struggle, is this understanding that something is detrimental to somebody or to nature and still see them doing it. I, I give you a silly example. Um, uh, littering not throwing garbage like in in the country i live currently which is mexico i still today in 2020 see people throwing garbage out of their uh, windows in their cars uh leaving garbage in places where they went to have a picnic or, or things like that and and i you yeah i could say i struggle but 
that is a very temporary thing because when I when I meditate on it, I understand where they come from. So my struggle goes away. But as it happens, as I see it, when I see somebody throwing a can or a bag of chips out of the, the their windows, I do struggle seeing that. Absolutely. I At that very moment, a very, um, the, the most um, 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 physical part of me says, why? Why are we still there? No? But as I take a moment and I meditate on it, I understand perfectly why we're there. And I tell you why. Humanity evolves in sections. And, and right now, for instance, what we are experiencing is a, a major shift in consciousness. All of these things that we're seeing globally from the, the virus to, to all the, the, the different things we're seeing in the news that are, happen, are happening massively throughout the world um, are nothing but the consciousness expansion showing itself. It's nothing but the the transformation the elevation whichever word you want to use of our consciousness as a community as a group so you see in something that could sound and look so terrible we can also see that is helping us as a group to reach the next step the next level and i understand that there are still individuals when we have a shift in consciousness. It doesn't mean every single individual goes to that new space. Some some will stay in the space behind, in the step behind, and some will be already ahead of us and be two, three, five, ten steps ahead of us. That will always be like that. But again, the struggle as per se, it's very temporary, Chris. Um, because again, when we take the moment to analyze the thoughts and so on and so on, we see that yes, experiencing humanity, it's 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 um something we all have to do. To experience emotions is something we all have to do. To remain in that space is a choice. So with those things that I could struggle with, they are very, very um temporary and and pass rapidly throughout my being. Thank you so much for being open with that. I really admire and appreciate you for that. I'm going to recap everything we've talked about right now. And while I do that, I want you to think of one thing that we should take away from this conversation. What is the most important thing? Today, we kind of touched on a lot of topics, but we talked about, in general, how we review our world. That really is the thing that dictates our experience. Those are the things that can make good things good or pleasurable things pleasurable, unpleasurable things unpleasurable. We started off by talking about how our habits, those things that we do, the thought processes, the unconscious belief systems that we have 
turn into routine. And we see that in our lives. We see that in the external environment that we created. And then we see it in our thoughts and our beliefs about the external environment. Now, we also talked about what cognitive dissonance is and how that doesn't align with what we truly believe, what we're doing, some of the things that we're acting upon or thinking upon aren't really what we want. And all of those things kind of paint the whole picture of our life. And through observation, we can look at that whole picture and we can, you know, identify, is that real? Is that really what's happening? And through that, we can take a note. We can observe, we can find out and look at what we're doing and how we're feeling and what we're thinking. And we can take those small changes and we can make those towards what will make us content, what will make us happy. We can change those thoughts. We can look in the mirror, we can take our practices, our spiritual practices, and use those to help us climb out of wherever we are. And understand that these habits that we've been doing have been affecting us, and they will affect us in the future. And as long as we make efforts to focus on the things that matter, that help lift us and lift the ones around us, it will help us. It will help us to move us out of the place that we are in. And we can look to nature as a prime example of that. We can look to nature about having balance and the cycles of nature and what things do in life to bring balance and understand that sometimes those things that we don't like or that are not serving us doesn't mean that it's not attempting to bring balance and understand that these thoughts all these things create our reality and what we can do about it is take those small steps. And if we need help to get the help that we need, the one-on-one -on -one attention, the one-on-one -on -one guidance from someone who is appropriate to help us through that. And so that's really what we've been talking about today. If I'm correct, would you say that that's correct? Absolutely. Great. And then, what is the most important thing in your opinion? The one thing we should take away? Well, that, that, that's a difficult spot, but um, if, if I had to choose one thing, um, I would say is, is to realize that the power to change and transform yourself lies within you and that the tools that you use to reach that are not as important as that realization that the inner power that, that you possess, it, it's already, as the word implies, is within you. 
absolutely. That is 100% true. Now, we're going to wrap things up. What I want to ask you, the very last question is, how can people find you? Um, in the beginning, we mentioned that you are the co-founder of Yoga Veda Institute. Where can people find you on the web and throughout? Well, uh, of course, in, in our website, yogavedainstitute.com, uh, there you can see the links to, to the social media that we have. Um, I personally am not very active on social media. I do have, of course, my, my email, which you can find also on, on the website, uh, or request to, be, to contact me. Um, but you won't find me on social media. Um, I'm, not, I'm not there. Uh, I, I have a personal opinion about social media and, and, and the, the, the things that they can, that they can give us. Uh, anyhow, the website will be the best way. Uh, and there you can see the services we offer. Um, I'm a personal coach, so life coach, if you want to call it that way. And uh, I, we do online consultations as well as on-site, if it's uh, realistic. And of course, you can join all of our courses. We have many courses that are focused on Ayurveda and yoga. Uh, and there you can find me. Wonderful, Andy. I want to thank you so very much for being here, being a part of the show, letting us into the world of yoga, the world of Andy, the world of everything, being open and honest with us. I'm going to wrap things up now. And um, again, thank you very, very much. And this has been really enlightening. Everyone have a blessed day. Bella Life, where health and wellness starts with you.